1: Cyberbit is offering Cyberwire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at Cyberbit.com slash Cyberwire. Who's been hacking aerospace firms? Context Security suggests it's a new Chinese threat actor, Abivore. The FBI issues a ransomware alert. The NCSC warns of active exploitation of vulnerable VPNs. The EU issues a sweeping takedown order to Facebook. U.S. senators ask Facebook about deep fakes. Spearfishing at the Australian National University. FireEye may be for sale. And the Sandcat threat group shows poor OPSEC. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, October 3rd, 2019. In a year where CrowdStrike finds cybercriminals more active than state-sponsored hackers, Chinese intelligence services have been taking a leading role in industrial espionage. Someone, and most signs point to China, has certainly been poking into the networks of aerospace companies and their suppliers – Airbus is the most prominent of these firms that have been so prospected. The company disclosed in January that business systems at its commercial aircraft division had been hacked and that data had been improperly accessed. Last week, Asian's France Press, citing security sources, reported that the company had continued to sustain security incidents, several of which affected its suppliers, among them the British engine manufacturer Rolls-Royce, the French technology consultancy Expleo, and two other unidentified French companies. Most of the speculation about specific attribution has turned to APT 10, also known as Stone Panda, and which CrowdStrike earlier last month associated with the Tianjin Bureau of the Ministry of State Security, MSS for short. Other researchers thought the attackers most likely to belong to Jiangsu Province Ministry of State Security, JSSD for short. The U.S. Department of Justice has indicted members of JSSD in the past for hacking, and the group has a special interest in aerospace companies. But the London-based security firm Context believes a different threat actor is responsible. In fact, Context believes it's found a previously unremarked threat actor that's engaging in living off the land as it island hops across targets in the aerospace supply chain. They've given the group its own name, Avivore, that is, Eater of Birds, which seems apt for something that preys on the aerospace sector. Context acknowledges that there are some similarities among Avivore and both JSSD and Stone Panda, but they've concluded that the tactics, techniques, and procedures, infrastructure, and tooling observed differ significantly, and that while they can't rule out the involvement of the other two groups, it seems likely to them that Avivore represents a different organization." The group's attacks display good OPSEC, and the researchers note in particular the group's attention to removal of forensic artifacts, a sign of its desire to remain as obscure as possible. Contrast this with the somewhat willful noisiness of some other state actors. Fancy Bear broke onto the scene, for example, with considerable eclat, not seeming to care a great deal whether it was detected or not, and that was a matter of style, not incompetence. Whoever Avivor is, the group is probably Chinese, probably state-directed, and almost certainly concerned with industrial espionage. Israel is a major player in the cybersecurity ecosystem, with significant research and innovation originating in that country. It's also a hot market for venture capital. Joel Leidersdorf heads up VC company YL Ventures.
0: Israel is uh, the number two country in the world, in terms of cybersecurity exports. And that's just one uh, measurement. I would say it's number two in absolute numbers in terms of number of startups, um, cybersecurity startups. It's also number two in terms of uh, venture capital funding in cybersecurity. Um, and that's especially impressive since Israel only has about 8 million people, You know, much fewer than, than what the US has and many other countries have. The total amount of funding for Israeli cybersecurity companies across all stages grew 22% from 2017 to 2018. Uh, in 2018, we had over a billion dollars, actually 1.03 billion, um, of uh, total funding for for security startups in Israel. And as I mentioned, that is number two um, in the world. Also, in t- 2018, we had 66 new companies uh, founded in Israel in cybersecurity, which is a growth of 10% over 2017. Um, The average seed rounds are getting bigger. So 3.6 million in 2018, up from 3.3 million in 2017. Most of the the new companies are in emerging fields, meaning uh, in in Israel, meaning meaning completely new fields of cybersecurity, which is very interesting because uh, it's not more of the same. But rather, we're seeing um, lo- lots of new, uh, lots of new innovation. Now, you compare that with uh, with any uh, other region in the world, and these stats are extremely impressive. I mean, especially the the absolute numbers of dollars invested and in, in, in number of companies formed. You don't really have that anywhere in the world except for the U.S. And think about you know all the different regions in the U.S. where cybersecurity is uh, is strong, like. Uh, you know, the Virginia corridor, Silicon Valley, Boston, um, all these areas, um, Israel is a very, very small place. So you can get from one end to the, to the other in terms of, you know, what's interesting in, in, in the security industry within about an hour's drive. When you look around
1: at uh, the state of things when it comes to investing in cybersecurity, where do we find ourselves today?
0: Uh, this is a very exciting time to be in cybersecurity. I think it's one of the Highest uh, growth sectors in venture capital overall. Um, it's it's driven by by many factors. I mean, I could say uh, you know first of all the movement to the cloud um, is is really uh, increasing the uh, security concerns that organizations have and therefore their budgets. Another one is uh, is IoT, uh, Internet of Things. We're expected to triple uh, the number of Internet of Things by twenty twenty five. To about 22 billion devices, um, uh, and a lot of them are unprotected. You know, security spend worldwide is is over 100 billion a year now, and that's and that's growing year over year. I think by 2021 we're going to be at 133 billion, according to Gartner. Uh, the cost of cyber crime is uh, is was about 600 billion in 2017, and is is much higher now. Um, You know, the number of data breaches, that's a big driver. I'm sure you've you've seen a lot of that. Um, I mean, we've gone from about 800 in 2015 to about 1,600 in 2017. That's in just two years, the doubling of the number of breaches. Um, And security is now uh, a a top uh, topic uh, in in boards of directors. Um, And, of course, there's a big shortage of of cybersecurity professionals, about 3 million people um, that are needed worldwide. And so, you know, all these are driving demand for cybersecurity. Um, And of course, the business we're in is investing in um, cybersecurity startups that are meeting this demand. So, I mean, our our whole goal and and reason for for existence here is to uh, supply the world with with some great solutions. Um, In our case, these solutions originate in Israel, which is um, the number two exporter in the world Um, in terms of security solutions. So that's Mm. you know, that's the world that we're in.
1: That's Joav Leidersdorf of YL Ventures. There have been some official warnings of cyber threats in both Britain and the US. The US FBI has issued an alert that ransomware represents a high impact threat. The Bureau urges victims to report the incidents to their local FBI field office, and it strongly recommends that no one pay the ransom. Doing so at this point is simply fueling the bandit economy that keeps ransomware in circulation. The UK's National Cybersecurity Centre warns of pervasive exploitation of widely used VPNs. They're not scrub VPNs either, but rather the products of respected vendors Pulse Secure, Palo Alto Networks and Fortinet. Both British and international organizations are being targeted, and the NCSC says the victims include government, military academic business and healthcare organizations they advise everyone using the affected vpns apply the latest patches and all three vendors have them and reset their authentication credentials the new york times reports that the european court of justice ruled today that national courts may order facebook to take down and restrict access to content globally the case originated with an austrian green party politician who requested removal of unflattering comments an unnamed individual had posted to a personal page. The plaintiff alleged that three bits of content were impermissibly objectionable. Specifically, she objected to traitor of the people, corrupt clod," and fascist. The decision is sweeping and will have the effect of pushing social networks toward treatment like publishers as opposed to common carriers. Skeptics note that European law has tended to restrict disrespectful posts about politicians, more readily than it has quelled extremism or invasions of pure personal privacy, but then it stands to reason that politicians might just be better resourced than your average Zuzi Musterfrau or Janie Sixpack. Facebook is also receiving attention across the Atlantic. The social network yesterday received a letter from U.S. Senators Warner, Democrat of Virginia, and Rubio, Republican of Florida, asking for an explanation of its policies and technical capabilities with respect to deepfakes and fabricated news generally. An Australian National University review of its data breach concludes that the hackers got in by spearfishing a senior member of the university's staff. The Australian Financial Review reports that ANU declined to name a culprit but called the attackers sophisticated and probably interested in fraud. 10Daily says the phishing victim simply previewed the email and didn't interact with it in any other way. Business Insider says FireEye has retained Goldman Sachs as the security company explores putting itself up for sale. FireEye's stock has been up on the news, trading around $14 since it broke. The likeliest buyers are thought to be private equity investors. And finally, to return to the issues of OPSEC and state-directed threat groups, here's one that seems decidedly not to have its security house in order. It's the group security researchers at Kaspersky calls SANDCAT, which is believed to be a cyber operations unit of Uzbekistan's state security service, the SSS, which inherited a reputation for repression and brutality with its KGB DNA. Kaspersky described its findings to VICE, First of all, SandCat used the name of an associated military group to register one of the domains used in its infrastructure. This is held to be bad by those in the business. If you're registering a domain, use some anodyne but plausible front organization, maybe the young person's chess clubs of Greater Bukhara. Second of all, they had installed Kaspersky security software in their systems, and that software is reckoned both effective and intrusive, with a pretty big footprint in the systems it protects. Thus, Kaspersky had pretty good visibility into things that would raise any security eyebrows, like buying a bunch of zero days from third parties. So the gaff was blown pretty quickly. Kaspersky researchers said they were surprised to see that Uzbekistan's SSS had any cyber operational capability at all. Some of that can be written off to the casual disregard with which the Central Asian members of the near abroad tend to be disregarded, But those who have eyes to see, let them see. The researcher known as Phineas Fisher said in 2015 that he'd found a good bit of email correspondence between the Uzbek organs and the Italian lawful intercept firm of Hacking Team. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Craig Williams. He's the head of Talos Outreach at Cisco. Uh, Craig, great to have you back. Uh, you all recently published some information as uh, a blog post titled Open Document Format Creates Twist in Maldoc Landscape. Uh, what's going on here? Well, so this is a very interesting one, right? Um, you know, we've all known
2: Maldocs exist and we all know that you need to be worried about them. Um, but what this particular attacker did was very, very clever. They found an issue and you know, an open office format called ODT or open document. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were able to, you know, basically discover that if you exploited the ODT file type, not only were you able to compromise uh, OpenOffice, but Microsoft Office would actually fall victim to the same or a very similar bug, resulting in them getting the execution that they wanted. Hmm. So think about this, right? You get an ODT file, um, and let's, let's say you're super savvy, right? And maybe even your security software warns you or you know that ODT is open office, and so you think, ha, 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 silly hacker, I run Microsoft Office, I'm far superior and can't be compromised. Mm-hmm. Well, you might click on it to see what it is, because you know deep down that you're not running any sort of open software, and so therefore you shouldn't be vulnerable. However, (laughs) that's not the case here. Um, And so I think by using this format to target both sets of victims, the attacker actually has a much wider net than we would normally consider. And because it's an ODT format, a lot of the detection technology, particularly in things like antivirus, may not actually work as effectively as they should.
1: Hmm. Now, do you have a sense that this is an intentional misdirection, or or is it a happy accident for them that it that it's effective within the actual Microsoft environment? Oh, I'm, I'm pretty
2: sure that this is intentional.
1: Okay. Uh, you know, the
2: things that they're using are things like PowerShell that are very generically used in word attacks. And so I think what happened was they basically found a particular technique that worked in both and decided to make use of it. Uh, because it, it does double your potential pool of victims.
1: Hmm. So what are we looking at here in terms of recommended protections?
2: Well, the gist of it here is, you know, the, the same type of advice we would give anyone for a malicious document campaign. I mean, number one, don't ever click on an email attachment unless you're confident who sent it and you know that they intentionally attached it. Uh, You know, number two, make sure you're running some sort of antivirus product so that if the file is known to be malware, it actually gets convicted and removed from your system before you can open it. I suppose for number three, we could throw out there, make sure you have a firewall on so that in the event you do click on it, perhaps it won't be able to reach out and
1: grab the actual additional payload. I see. Do you have any sense for how successful this is or how widespread it is? Uh, so this one we think we
2: found pretty early. We did not see a ton of attachments in our email telemetry. Um, now, it is possible that there were very isolated, heavily targeted pockets like we've seen in the past. Uh, very specific industries, very specific countries. But from a global perspective, it does appear to be very limited. So hopefully we got the word out in time.
1: The blog post is titled, Open Document Format Creates Twist in MALDOC Landscape. Craig Williams, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire.